This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Friday, April 7th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, public health shifts COVID testing, Ski Patrol wraps up a very wintry season, Mountain Village Hotel application on the brink of collapse, and a mountain weather forecast. But first... A Natarita man died on Thursday while driving towards Norwood on Highway 145. Charles Roy Dobbs, known as CR, was driving when his vehicle went off the road near the bottom of Norwood Hill. According to the San Miguel County Coroner's Office, Dobbs was not wearing a seatbelt and was thrown from the vehicle, resulting in his death. He was 41 years old. A passenger in the vehicle was rescued and is receiving medical treatment. The cause and manner of death is under investigation. Crippen Funeral Home will attend to services. Dobbs is survived by his parents, Vanna and Gary, his siblings, Cindy, Kaylin, Lee, Raymond, Thomas, and Jonathan. It's been three years since the COVID-19 pandemic turned the world, country, and our communities upside down. But on May 11th, the federal government will end its public health emergency and COVID resources and response will shift to the local level. In San Miguel County, that means the weekly public health COVID testing clinic will end after April 13th. Public health will continue to have at-home rapid test kits available. According to San Miguel County Public Health Director Grace Franklin, the number of individuals showing up for PCR testing has decreased, with individuals opting for at-home tests or going to the doctor. Public Health will continue to provide COVID vaccine clinics every Wednesday from 2 to 4 p.m. with walk-ins welcome. Since the mountain closed this past weekend, Ski Patrol has been packing up and readying the mountain for a quiet spring and the summer maintenance season to follow. In the midst of their work, a couple patrollers took some time to speak with KOTO's Gavin McGough about the winter season. You've seen the evidence. Snowpack this winter is up in Colorado. On the hyperlocal level here in Telluride, this winter has been impressively snowy, with the Telluride Ski Patrol measuring 283 inches of snowfall for the season, well above average. But, says Director of Safety at Telski, John Tuckman, It was not a record season by any means. It wasn't a top three season. It was more like a top 10 season. But it felt much colder and much snowier because we had much colder weather and many more snowy days than we're typically used to. The cold was so persistent that only seven days in January and February combined saw temperatures rise above freezing at the Telski headquarters on the mountain. Meanwhile, January, usually a dry month, had only five days without some measured snow accumulation. Another weather phenomenon that defined the season You've probably felt it yourself. I think the thing that is probably fresh in most people's minds right now is the wind. We had a great deal of wind, uh, especially through the second half of the season. But season long, we had um, almost three out of every five days, we measured gusts over 45 miles an hour. And over half the days of the season, we had gusts over 60 miles an hour. So I can't say 
quantitatively how that stacks up against past seasons, but anecdotally, it was a lot of wind. Assistant Director of Ski Patrol Ian Kirkwood adds those high winds frequently complicated Ski Patrol's work, as those gusts led to lift closures, which prevented patrollers from accessing terrain for snow safety efforts and avalanche mitigation. I felt like this year there was a lot more days where the winds were approaching the, you know, the thresholds for running those lifts on the upper mountain. And uh, that can complicate things greatly for us if we can't get back around or, you know, we can do a little bit of work. But if we don't have the lift to uh, get up into the positions, uh, hard to do any of that stuff. Um, and or do the work and can't open the train because the lifts uh, just can't run in those kinds of winds. So Between numerous storm days, persistent cold, and those steady blowing winds, Tuckman says the season and the work facing ski patrollers didn't let up. It was a little relentless. You know, it was a lot of groundhog days with, you know, not necessarily a ton of snow, but enough snow to need to come in early and work it for avalanche mitigation and get some terrain open and then kind of come in the next day and do it all over again. So it was it was a little bit relentless in that respect. Still, the overall impression left by the ample snow in numerous storm days is, of course, positive. Kirkwood, with 23 seasons patrolling in Telluride under his belt, says it was another great winter on the mountain. We just had a lot of really good skiing days. Uh, I think uh, more than I've remembered in the past, we had a uh, Storms come in during the day when we're able to get out in front of it and ski it during a storm cycle, and uh, that's the preferred way. It's a lot easier than having a big load come in overnight, and then you've got a lot of work, and it's uh, the danger level really goes up. Uh, but storms kind of came in favorably for us, uh, minus, you know, with the exception of the wind. Really, really good conditions. Uh. Patrollers are not the only ones who have noticed the ample number of storm days this season, Tuckman adds. We've been getting a lot of questions in the last couple of weeks is, you know, is this some kind of record snowfall year? And as I said, it's not, but I think it feels that way to people because there have been a lot of powder days. Snow continued earlier this week as ski patrollers packed up the mountain, putting away signage and rolling up rope. After a break, their work will turn to planning projects for the summer. As for the mountain itself, Kirkwood adds the patroller's work there is done. And then, yeah, it kind of turns back to uh, folks in the region. If they want to hike up and ski around on the mountain, uh, I think that opens up again on Saturday and, you know, becomes a backcountry area at that point. That is this coming Saturday, April 8th, when the mountain reopens for uphill ski access. A new hotel in Mountain Village may be on its final legs. The proposed hotel would sit on a lot just under one acre of land next to the Sharana and Westmere buildings on Mountain Village Boulevard. The project plans for 50 hotel rooms, 20 condos, and 31 lodge units. The development also plans for 18 dorm-style employee housing units with two employee apartments. There would be retail, fine dining, a bar, a market, and a conference center wedding space. Luxury brand Six Senses has shared their intent to operate the hotel. The applicants first approached the town of Mountain Village in the fall of 2021. They, the, pro, the project was um, under contract and the applicants understood that there was an existing PUD, the 2010 um, Mountain Village Hotel PUD, 
and asked about amending that PUD. That's Michelle Haynes, assistant town manager for the town of Mountain Village, speaking at a Mountain Village town council meeting last month. She says while developers originally indicated amendments to the PUD would be minor, over the past year, they have become more extensive. According to Haynes, issues surrounding parking, snow melt, and public benefits are some of the major challenges. Amy Ward, Community Development Director for Mountain Village, adds the communication regarding the hotel has grown challenging. We have worked with this applicant for 18 months. We generally have tried to to guide them through this process. And in in different applications, when there are... um, When there are questions about how things need to be done, generally an applicant would listen to staff and maybe take some of the advice of staff and make changes or not. And then they would save those big questions and those get deferred up to town council. Well, within this process, we're at this point today because those questions, the the answers that staff has given have not been amenable to the applicant and they are deferring those questions to you here today. Anchor Patel, part of the hotel development team, says they want to do what's best for the community and work together to make the hotel fit. Our intentions have always been to develop the best product for this law. We have put together a world-class project with a world-class team to address all concerns that the council, the staff, and the community have. We have worked tirelessly for the past 14 months to design the best use for this property and offer the best amenities to the community at large. Every single decision we made considers the ethos of the area and the needs. We really do want to work with the community and create a product that the community would be proud of. During public comment, opinions were mixed regarding the project. Marla Meredith is in support of the hotel. From the moment I heard about the Six Senses project, potentially coming to Mountain Village, I was stoked. Their five-star boutique destinations have been on my travel, travel bucket list for years. My friends who have been to their properties speak so highly of their visits. To have something this special in our backyard means we would only need to walk a few steps to enjoy a Six Senses experience. Cameron Kelly doesn't want to see the hotel built. She doesn't like the process with the developers. Never compromising, never discussing or trying to be a part of the community, and really never being kind. We know their behavior and character, as they proved it time and time again for over a year now. Coming in at the 11th hour, only when they're in the denial process without any change, and still pitching their project in this meeting, which I think is crazy. is just, it's not a compromise, especially when they are demanding and protesting so many things. This project quite literally does not fit on the piece of land, in the community, and with what they are saying. Mayor Leila Benitez notes she supports the hotel, but doesn't appreciate the process. We want a hotel here. We want a world-class hotel here. We would love for Six Senses to be here. We could not be more on board with the concept And so it's frustrating to be at a point where you have an incomplete application after 14 months and so many variables still up in the air. And, you know, someone could say, well, maybe your PUD process is difficult. I just like to remind people, we just went through this process with another hotel developer. It took nine months. It was smooth. This is probably one of the most pro-development when it comes to this 
parcel councils you'll ever see. So I just want to be really clear about that because there's been some real nastiness in the last month that I know I personally could have done without when there isn't any question about our commitment. At the meeting, town council chose to continue the conversation regarding the hotel development rather than approving or denying the application. Mountain Village Town Council will discuss the hotel application at its meeting on June 15th. Town Council will likely vote to approve or deny the application at that time. The Telluride Historical Museum is now closed for the off-season, but you can still immerse yourself in Telluride's past. This off-season, the museum is inviting folks working as outdoor guides, hotel concierge, or in other similar public-facing positions to attend an open house exploring local history. The goal, the museum says, is to provide those employees and their organizations with educational materials and information about local history, to expand the museum's reach within the community and its visitors. Increasing historical knowledge amongst those working with the area's visitors and landscape will further the historical museum's mission. Anyone interested in participating either as an individual or an organization can email Teresa at Teresa, T-H-E-R-E-S-A, at telluridemuseum.org. On June 1st, the Telluride Historical Museum will reopen with its summer exhibition focusing on the history of Telluride's festival culture. A student protester was forcibly removed from the Colorado State House of Representatives on Wednesday. He and dozens of other students walked out of class and gathered at the Capitol to demand lawmakers take action against gun violence. Some students watching from the gallery shouted at lawmakers in the chamber below. State patrols say they removed three students for disruptive behavior. Body camera footage shows officers dragging one student out of the chamber and putting him in handcuffs. Lawmakers, including House Speaker Julie McCluskey, are calling for an investigation into the incident. Wednesday was the third time in the last month that high school students have protested against gun violence at the State House. The Interior Department announced more than $580 million from the bipartisan infrastructure law will be used for water infrastructure across the western U.S., KUNC's Alex Hager has more. The money is going to over 80 projects, including work in five of the seven states that use water from the Colorado River. Supplies from the river are strained after more than two decades of drought and steady demand. Camille Kalimlim-Tudin leads the Bureau of Reclamation. To meet this moment, we must work together through our shared values and a commitment protecting the river, leading with science and with creativity and a shared understanding that unprecedented conditions requires new solutions. Federal spending will be used to expand canals, treat water for tribes, and replace hydropower equipment. The Colorado River supplies water to 40 million people across the Southwest. I'm Alex Hager. For high school students in the Rocky Mountains, field trips often involve outdoor activities like backpacking or river trips. But one group of high school students in Durango are planning something unique, coming up in a couple weeks. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Clark Adamidas of KSUT and KSJD has the story of Durango High School's Black Student Alliance and an upcoming field trip to Atlanta, Georgia. On a Thursday evening in March, over 130 students and family members are sitting at round dinner tables in the Durango High School gymnasium. 
Pan-African colored balloons decorate the tables. Mac and cheese and collard greens. And Ava Allen, the historian of Durango High School's Black Student Alliance, is emceeing the dinner. And she's freestyle wrapping food on the menu this evening. All you gotta do is eat. Nothing better than our sweets. We got brownies, we got bread. The event is a fundraiser for the student club's upcoming trip to Atlanta, Georgia. And it's also a place where attendees can taste some soul food and appreciate black culture. It's not just for one culture or one race. It's for everybody to come together and really celebrate black lives and to understand like the culture and the stories behind it. At the end of April, seven students, two teachers, and a school security guard will fly to Atlanta for a week. Lyric Rodriguez, president of the Black Student Alliance, says Atlanta will give a few black high school students an experience that is lacking for them in the Rocky Mountains. We don't really have very many historically black colleges down here in Colorado or even on the West Coast. So we were talking about going to Atlanta because it's one of the most historically like rich place that displays black culture. According to the U.S. Census, only 0.8% of Durango's population is black. But Rodriguez says black people still need to be recognized. There's different heritage and culture than just the white and skiing kind of average culture here in Durango. There's, there's black people and a very small black population, but we still need to be acknowledged because there's still racism that happens in this town that people like to turn a blind eye on. Well, I mean, it's... It's, it's hard. It's hard. Alan Batiste is a teacher at Durango High School and one of the club's faculty advisors. A lot of times you walk around wherever you go, if you go downtown, if you're at the rec center, if you're at a restaurant, you're not seeing yourself um, or people that look like you. In Atlanta, the students will visit historically black colleges and soak in as much black culture as they can. The women are going to go to uh, Spelman University and then uh, the men are going to go to Morehouse. We're going to go to uh, Martin Luther King Memorial, also see Ebenezer Church where he, you know, he spoke. The club has been planning the trip for over a year. They sold cupcakes and ran a concession stand. In December, they launched a GoFundMe campaign online. Here's the club's president, Lyric Rodriguez. We realized that we still needed about $5,000, $6,000 that we had to cover. And we ended up making about 6000 on GoFundMe and received so many donations within the first day. We received donations from local businesses like that just gave us 1000 gave us 3000 It was crazy. With $19,000 raised for the trip, each of the students' out-of-pocket costs will be around $250. At the Soul Food Dinner, there are white people, black people, and Hispanic people. There are elders, children, and generations in between. It's a diverse group who have shown up to support seven teenagers in Durango who want to explore black culture. For KSUT and KSJD, I'm Clark Adamitis. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for cloudy skies tonight with a low around 30 degrees. Saturday calls for partly sunny skies with a chance of snow showers in the afternoon and a high near 45. Saturday night should bring clouds with a low near 25 degrees. Sunday calls for sunny skies with a high near 50 degrees and Sunday night should be mostly clear with a low near 30. This has been the news for Friday, April 7th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. KOTO News is scaling back for two weeks. 
with newscasts on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday during that time. We will start back with our full news programming on April 17th.